Hey guys, Nicole and Madison here. I uh, hope that you guys are having a great spring break. We wanted to surprise you guys with a bonus podcast for the break, and we're doing this for a couple of reasons. First, we just wanted to stay in touch with you all because two weeks just felt too long not to connect with you guys. Second, we are about to jump into a portion of the scripture that um, can feel super confusing, and we want to really help give you a heads up and try to set you up for success. Now, over the next two weeks, there are large portions of the text that are going to talk about the end times or the return of Christ. Yikes, did I just make you panic? I know that I would have panicked if I was in your shoes because when I was in college, I had a friend and she started bringing me to her church. Now, this was before I was a Christian, so this was all brand new to me. She, at her church, introduced me to a book series that you may have heard of. It's called Left Behind. Now, if you're not familiar, the Left Behind series is it's a fictional book series about what it might be like for somebody who was who would be alive during those final days. And let me tell you, it freaked me out. Her church that she went to was super focused on the end times. And even inside their worship center, they had these huge signs that kind of warned you about it. And I can really clearly remember having conversations with her and her friends about this topic that were just so uncomfortable to me and so scary. And at this time, I had no idea that there were multiple views on what the end times might look like. And I had no idea where to find this information in scripture. So I just sort of assumed that everything that I was hearing was straight from scripture and was for sure going to be how it was. So my response was to just avoid thinking about it completely and to never actually take the time to learn. It just felt too scary to me. Now, I don't know if you have had similar feelings about this topic or similar experiences. Maybe this is all new to you. Maybe you've never even heard of any of this idea about the end times before. Um, and maybe it's something that you are very, very familiar with and you know exactly where you stand and what view yours is. I know we're probably all over the map in here. But wherever you are, I just want to um, say that I really hope you can leave this podcast with kind of a lighter feeling, a sense of relief and feel like, hey, this isn't so scary after all. Now, before we jump in, I want to point out something. A lot of what we know about the end times are because there's different prophecies about it all throughout scripture. So like we get little snippets here and snippets there about events that will happen. Now, do you know what else we are going to see that we see prophecies about all throughout scripture? We see a lot of prophecies about the Messiah, about the birth the life and the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. There are prophecies about it all throughout the Old Testament. So I'm going to ask you a question. When Jesus died, do we read a lot of stories about people who are like, yep, I knew it. I knew that's exactly how all these prophecies were going to play out. No, you guys, that's not what we see at all. We see a lot of people who are super confused because it didn't look at all how they thought it would from their understanding of the prophecies. They had this picture of a war hero freeing them from Rome. It was completely different, okay? So I think that's part of the beauty of it. I think that if God wanted them to know exactly what it was going to look like when Christ came, he would have spelled it out for them a little more clearly. And I think if he wanted us to know exactly what it's going to look like when Christ comes back, we would have a lot more clarity found in the scriptures. So before we jump into these actual views of what the end times are going to look like, I want to be clear that these are just views. They're just guesses. Yeah, we have these elements that scripture tells us about of what's going to happen, these different prophecies, and all these views about the end times, these are just guesses on how all the prophecies are going to play out. So while there's value in knowing these different views and knowing kind of these different prophecies, we shouldn't be surprised if when the last days do come, everybody is like, wow, that's not at all how I thought it was going to play out. Okay, so I just want to clarify, this isn't one of those situations where it's like one of these four is absolutely the correct one and you better figure it out. That's not it. These are just kind of guesses and there is a good chance that none of them are going to be right. Maybe they are. Who knows? Well, that being said, let's get to it. I'm going to start off by giving you a big theological word. 
We're actually going to have a lot of big theological words in this episode, so get ready. Some of you guys are going to love this, and some of you guys are already dreading it and thinking about turning off the episode right now, but please stick with it. We can answer any questions that you have in our next discussion time on Wednesday. So what's this big word you ask? Well, you may have heard the term eschatology before. The word eschatology is basically a word that just is talking about the doctrine of final events or the doctrine of kind of the last things, okay? So when we talk about the second coming of Christ and the judgment in the last days, those are all considered eschatology, okay? Now the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians contain quite a bit of eschatology. They have a lot to contribute in terms of eschatology. Now we want to be sure that when we teach through the text of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians these next few weeks, that we can really focus on the text itself. And so we thought it might be helpful if we could give you a quick explanation of these different views now so that we don't get sidetracked by it during the teaching. So we're going to lay it all out for you guys. There are multiple prophecies about different things that will happen in the last days. People have taken all of these prophecies and they've tried to piece them together, okay? Um, So when we look at all these prophecies, there are some people who think, wow, all of these prophecies, they're supposed to be read super literally. We have to take them for exactly what they say, that the meaning is exactly what they say. Other people take these and they're like, well, this seems maybe like it's supposed to be more symbolic or more figurative, okay? So people don't agree. Now, there's also different people who have different ideas of what order these things are going to happen with, okay? We have all these different things we know will happen, but the Bible doesn't tell us what order. So people have tried to piece together what order they think it will happen with. So if people looked at all, have, as people have looked at all these prophecies, have tried to determine which ones are literal and which ones are, are symbolic, if people have determined the order, there's sort of four main views that have emerged or evolved as to how things are going to play out. There are more, but there's four main views. So in this podcast, we thought it might be helpful just to give you a brief overview of what the actual prophecies are that people are trying to piece together. So like the different pieces of the puzzle, the different elements. And then after that, we want to give you a quick description of the four main views Um, of like kind of how different scholars piece these puzzles pieces together, okay? How they think it's going to play out. So first, here are the elements that make up each of the views, the things that there are actual prophecies that are taken from scripture, okay? So the first prophecy or element is that of the millennium. The millennium refers to this verse in Revelation that talks of Satan being bound for a thousand years and during this time Christ is reigning, okay? So this idea of this thousand year period of time when Satan is bound and then Christ is reigning on earth, okay? That is the millennium. All of the views have different takes on what exactly this 1,000 year reign of Christ is going to look like. Is this literal or figurative? Okay, And they also have different ideas of what this binding and release of Satan will look like. So this idea of the release of Satan at the end of that 1,000 years is where the idea of an antichrist, or as we'll see in a few weeks, this man of lawlessness comes in. Okay, So that's the first element. The next element is this idea that Jesus will come back. There's going to be a resurrection of believers and that there is going to be a judgment. Okay. We're told in several places in scripture that there's going to be a final judgment when believers are going to go to eternity with God in the new heavens and the new earth. And that those who don't follow God are going to spend eternity apart from him. Okay, so that's the second element, Jesus' second coming and this resurrection of believers to the new heaven and new earth, this judgment, and then those who don't follow God spending eternity apart from him. And then finally, the other thing that kind of separates these views is there's differences in how they see how we should view Israel. Like Israel had this covenant with God in the Old Testament. They were his people. And now there's this new covenant for everybody in Christ. So like, are we now Israel or is Israel still distinct and something that a people that, you know, we still have to see them as different with these promises to them. So there's differences in how people see Israel. We're not really going to get into that. That's kind of a whole nother topic in and of itself. So those are kind of the pieces of the puzzle. 
Now I'm just gonna very quickly, because me and Madison are gonna each take two and break them apart a little bit more for you, but really quickly, the four main ways that these puzzle pieces are thought to fit together um, have really long and complicated names. So the four main eschatological views are called post-millennialism, amillennialism, and then there's two types of premillennialism, okay? Now, again, those are big words. They can feel jumbled. We actually had to, had to re-record a couple times because we kept on getting tongue-tied even saying them, okay? So don't feel bad if these feel confusing to you. Before we break them down, I'm just going to give you a quick, like, an easy trick to remember them. Here's an easy way to tell them apart. Each name, sort of, it sort of indicates the order that they think things are going to happen with in regarding that 1,000-year period, the millennium, and then Christ returning. That's why they all have the word millennium in the title. The pre or the post or the ah indicates if Christ is going to come before or after or if there is no millennium at all. So post-millennialism says that Christ is going to return post or after this 1,000-year period of time. Ah, millennialism is basically saying there is no literal millennium. Like that's what the ah mean is like no, like non-millennium. So there is no literal millennium. We're currently living in this figurative 1,000 years. So like the ah, millennialism is saying that, you know, like when Jesus died and was crucified and resurrected, that was the beginning of this long period of time until he comes back. And it's more of a figurative. So like this age we're in now, they would consider the millennium. And then premillennialism says that Christ is going to come pre or before the 1,000 years. So like Christ will come and then he will reign literally in bodily form for 1,000 years. Okay, and we'll get into that when we kind of break it apart more. There's obviously a whole lot more to each one of these, but that's just to help you feel a little like less overwhelmed, a little trick to remember the differences. Just the name is basically describing when does Christ come before or after the millennium, or is there not a real millennium, and we're just in it now, okay? So now I'm going to hand it over to Madison. She's going to give you a little bit more depth and detail on the first two. So the first two views have one thing in common. Neither holds to a literal millennium or a thousand-year reign as described in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 10. The view of amillennialism holds that the thousand-year reign explained in those few verses is symbolic of a primarily spiritual reign of Christ in the current church age as he reigns in the hearts of his people. Amillennialists believe Satan is bound during the church age, though that will end shortly before Christ's return and persecution and deception will worsen. For the time being, they believe gospel victory and persecution of the church will continue simultaneously until the second coming of Christ. All millennialists also see the church as a spiritual Israel, a fulfillment of God's promises about Israel in the Old Testament. All millennialists believe Christ will return, render, render his final judgment after the resurrection of the living and the dead, and then the full and final reign of God will be established in the new creation at the same time. The second view, post-millennialists, they believe that the thousand-year reign is a figurative time that began at the cross. Where this view differs from amillennialism is that post-millennialism holds that the gospel and church will gain more influence in the world during this figurative 1,000 years until most of the world is Christian. Then Christ will return with the resurrection, the final judgment, and the new creation will begin. Postmillennialist view on Satan differs. From what I read, some believe Satan is bound, like in all millennialism, but some view the binding as a future event, like 
what you're going to hear in premillennialism. Postmillennialism does believe that the church is the fulfillment of Israel, like in all millennialism. Okay, Nicole here again, and I'm going to be talking to you about premillennialism because the third and fourth view are both forms of premillennialism. Okay, now remember, premillennialists basically just have the view that Christ is going to come before, pre, that 1,000 years. They're the ones who take all the interpretations very, very literally. Um, all the different prophecies that they see, they're going to interpret them super literally, and they're going to keep everything really chronological. So if things are laid out in a certain order in Revelation, they're going to keep it in that order. So they're kind of known for that. So um, of the premillennialists, there's kind of two camps. First, we've got historic premillennialism. This is one that's been around longer, hence the word historic. Um, now, according to historic premillennialism, this is kind of the order that they think it's going to happen in. They think that first, there's going to be this period of intense tribulation, that things are going to get pretty rough around here. And then they think that Christ is going to return and he's going to reign over the earth for literally 1,000 years. There's going to be this like magical 1,000 year reign. They say that when he comes, that there's going to be this resurrection of all the believers who have died, a rapture of all the believers who are alive. Basically, anybody who has ever believed in Christ and ever and still does believe in Christ, they're all going to come together and be with Christ. And they are going to reign with him during that thousand years. They say that Christ is going to be physically present in a resurrected body during this time. Okay, So it's all very literal. They say that during this time, Satan will be bound and he's not going to have any influence over the earth. Then they say that after that thousand years is up, Satan will be released for a short time and lead a large portion of the earth away from Christ. That's, again, kind of this idea of the Antichrist is going to be the agent of Satan who kind of comes and leads this large portion away from Christ. Then they say that Jesus is going to stop this rebellion. The final judgment will take place and eternity will begin. Okay, so that's kind of premillennialism in a nutshell. Um, one, uh, they also see the church as the spiritual fulfillment of Israel. So they would say, okay, um, Israel was God's people in the Old Testament. And now when it talks about Israel, the church is Israel because we are now God's people in this new covenant. So they would see the church as being the spiritual fulfillment of Israel. So that's kind of that's kind of historic premillennialism, um, and then we've got this fourth view, which is a subset of premillennialism called dis dispensationalism. Okay, one more word as if as if we didn't have enough of them. Okay, dispensationalism. Now, dispensationalism is more than just a view of the end times. It's really like a way of seeing all of Scripture. Dispensationalists would say that scripture is kind of divided into seven different eras or seven different dispensations. And they say that this 1,000 year reign of Christ is the seventh era or the seventh dispensation. Okay. Um, the main thing that's different though in how they view the end times, in addition to kind of seeing the whole Bible this way, is that they have kind of added this idea of the rapture um, as something that's going to happen before this time of tribulation, okay? So with historic premillennialism, they would say, premillennialism, sorry guys, I, like we said, it's a mouthful. They would say that there's going to be this rapture when Christ returns after the tribulation time. But with, with dispensationalism, they would say that there's going to be a rapture, this idea that anybody who's alive at the time of, of this tribulation, that they are going to be transported to heaven and they're not going to have to experience the tribulation. It'll either happen right before it or maybe just a little bit into it. And so they kind of have this idea that if you are following Jesus, you're going to be saved from having to suffer through these hard years before Jesus comes back. Um, so that's something that has been added in and only in dispensationalism. Okay. 
dispensationalism is also different is that they see Israel as being very distinct or separate from the church. So they kind of see these promises about God and Israel, not as being like the church is now Israel, but that Israel is distinct and that God is going to restore ethnic Israel as a whole in the future. So they kind of see this restoration of the ethnic people of Israel rather than the church now being seen as Israel. So they kind of see that a little differently. Um, now I want to point out one more thing. It's really interesting that this is the newest of all the four main views. Okay. Dispensationalism didn't really start. This was like a new, like a new thought process in the 1800s and it became popular in the 1900s. Okay. So it's the newest of all of them. But at the same time, it's kind of the one that most of us are probably the most familiar with. And why do you think that is? Well, probably thanks to things like those Left Behind books that I mentioned before, because that book series is written from a dispensationalist point of view. Okay, so we kind of get this idea of the rapture, and that's kind of been taken by a lot of TV shows and books and movies, like this whole idea that we're going to be taken up in bodily form and just be in heaven and before this tribulation happens. That's what most people tend to think of when they think of the end times. But of all of the elements that are involved in all four views, the rapture that comes before the tribulation is only in this one. It doesn't exist in those other three views. I also just want to point out that the prophecies that we're able to pull all these other elements from, like the idea of this 1,000 years and Christ returning, those prophecies clearly state these things and they're in multiple places. Whereas the, the scriptures that they take the idea of this rapture that saves people from the tribulation, they're kind of having to pull a little bit more, um, like kind of make more assumptions from the text, more, um, you know, like maybe um, it's not it's not quite as clearly laid out in the text, okay? This is, this is an interpretation people have made from a few texts, okay? So it's not as clearly presented compared to other elements like the judgment or the return of Christ, okay? So I just want to point that out. Because if you're like me, I grew up thinking like that is the thing that I need to know. But really, this is probably of all the different elements of the return of Christ, it's probably the least one that I would focus on because it's it's the least clear in scripture and it's only been added in the last couple hundred years by this one newest view. Now, I'm guessing a lot of you guys are sitting there thinking, well, there's these four views. Which one am I supposed to believe? Like, which one is the right one? And you're not going to like this answer, but I don't know what the right one is, you guys. I know which one that I maybe think seems the most likely. I think me and Madison kind of both lean the same way. And we would love to be able to process it together with you guys in our discussion groups on Wednesday night because these should be things that are talked about, not just taught as truth. So I'm not going to get on here and say, this is the right one, or you should think this way. Because honestly, these are all just guesses based on all these prophecies. And I would much rather have a conversation with you all. I know Madison would love to talk with you in her discussion group as well. And um, just be able to process through kind of what the scriptures say and maybe why it makes some of these easier or harder to believe than others. So if you are hoping that I'm going to tell you the right one, I'm very sorry. You're going to be disappointed. But I'm going to hand it back over to Madison now. And she's going to kind of give us some things to think on as we leave here. So our views on eschatology are what we would call tertiary issues. There's an idea called theological triage that is helpful in all sorts of disagreements or arguments in the church. First, primary issues are issues of orthodoxy, the, the things that you have to believe to be a Christian, the main and most important beliefs of our faith. This would be beliefs like the Trinity, that there are three persons in one God the hypostatic union, that Christ is both fully God and fully man, 
justification by faith alone, that we're saved only through Christ alone. Secondary issues would be the beliefs that separate churches separates churches into groups or denominations, but everyone would still hold to the primary issues. Examples of secondary issues would be the meaning of baptism, whether a church uh, believes in baptizing infants or baptizing believers, or the belief of women serving as pastors. A person who disagrees with another on this level probably wouldn't attend the same church, but they would view one another as a brother or sister in Christ. Tertiary issues are below that level. This is where your view on the end times would fall. Other issues that would fall into this category can range from Calvinism versus Arminianism to beliefs on alcohol or tattoos. Members of a local church won't agree on these tertiary issues, and that is okay. And these things are still worth exploring together and talking about. We don't want you to hear that they don't matter at all, but that we hold them loosely. Danger occurs when we mix these up and make something a primary issue that isn't. So when your family member or friend finds out you're studying 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and they pull out their calendars and charts for the pre-trib rapture and who they think the Antichrist is, you can smile and politely disagree with them. But beyond that disagreement, you can point back to a primary issue that you both hold to dearly, that Jesus Christ will come again. A quote by John Frame can round us out well in this discussion. He said, so far as I can see, every Bible passage about the return of Christ is written for a practical purpose, not to help us develop a theory of history, but to motivate our obedience. Maybe you have a tightly held belief in this area, or maybe this is the first you've heard of these views. Wherever you land on this issue, let the hope of Christ's return fuel your obedience to him. Let's keep that in mind as we head into the last half of our study. We'll see next week that the return of Christ was meant to bring hope to the Thessalonians.